I am James Kennedy, and I am on the Culture Matters podcast. And this is, uh, this is I'm going to talk about uh, how culture actually does matter uh, in the Netherlands and why we need to think about that more deeply than we've thought about up until now. When you're developing your international business, one thing is often forgotten, cultural differences. The Culture Matters International Business Podcast does exactly that. Focus on international business and cultural differences. Chris and Peter guide you through the maze of business and cultural differences in every podcast episode. Get the global perspective here at the Culture Matters International Business Podcast. Okay, well, cool. All right, well, that's the subject I'd like to talk about. Thank you. Um, good morning uh, or good afternoon, James. Uh, I, I'm assuming you are in the Netherlands. I'm, that's what I'm assuming. For, I, I want to get one thing out of the way first. You're not related. You're not family, right? Uh, to Kennedy, that is. I am related to 15 U.S. presidents, but not John F. Kennedy. Not John F. Kennedy. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> no. Right. So, so that's one of the that's one of the odd things. But yeah. So no. Okay, so we've got that out of the way. So, so for us, for the audience, please right. tell us a little bit, a bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Where are you now? And what is, um, I always call this a cultural frame of reference. In other words, where have you stayed or interacted more than a holiday with another culture? Okay, well, so so I'm uh, I'm a guy, I, I was born and raised in Iowa. So I am an American. Uh, I... Uh, have a Dutch mother. Uh, ultimately, I got involved in Dutch history. Uh, I was a bit later, so it was really only my late 20s or uh, that I really became uh, really into Dutch history, uh, thinking about doing other kinds of history uh, first. Uh, but ultimately, I wrote a dissertation about the Netherlands in the 1960s. Um, and from there, I uh, also started entering into history networks here and they asked me to become professor of history in Amsterdam. And I did that for about 12 years at each of the two universities there. And now I'm in Utrecht, uh, which is my third Dutch university and was dean of the liberal arts college for, uh, for some years. And now I am kind of more back into history. So that's uh, I'm doing other things as well. I'm trying to get the university and society a little more closely connected with each other. So, you know, so that uh, the partners outside of the university become more engaged in how Mm -hmm. we teach our students. And it's very important. I think also very important to the students. So that's also what I'm doing right now. So Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in the Netherlands for 20 years. And that means then that I am... uh, you know, is this, I probably, uh, although I still spent more years of my life in the United States than the Netherlands, mm-hmm. I think the Netherlands has probably had, a, in some ways, a more formative impact on me, at least thinking about uh, who I am, uh, thinking about what's a good society than, uh, than just having been in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that's the country I'd name. Okay. All right. Interesting. It's um and then the first question that pops up, I do prepare a few questions. I don't prepare much. So I prefer to go with the flow. And right. um, so the first question that pops up, I know the saying, of course, and you know the saying, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, right? Mm-hmm. Yet there's another one as a finishing touch, God created the Dutch and, mm-hmm. and all all that all that good stuff. So why Dutch history? Okay, I have a Dutch mother, but there are so many other choices to make. Yeah, so that's 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 a that's a question. That's a really good question, and you should also say. I mean, Dutch history is done by all kinds of people who don't have Dutch mothers. So, so there are other reasons uh, uh, to do it. 
Um, you know, there are people who have also said, why would you want to do history, Dutch history? Because isn't it kind of a boring country? I mean, this is a country where less happens than anywhere else. It seems to be less subject to uh, the tragedies of the fall of humanity than, than in other uh, countries. Mm-hmm. I think it's really an interesting, uh, I think it's a really interesting place uh, because this is, this is a place that, uh, and it's worth uh, looking at because it's often been at the forefront of modernity where the world's gone. The Dutch have often been there, whether they wanted to be or not first. And so I think that really is a kind of an interesting place. So in some ways they, they point to, uh, to a, a future that many other people follow. Uh, with all the good things and bad things uh, that come uh, with that. So uh, so that's what makes it worth doing, I think. I think it's really also, for me uh, personally, just also just studying here, is, mm-hmm. is how do people get along in this country uh, with each other? It's like, you know, they it's very densely populated, and yet the Dutch seem to find a kind of a way to live with each other. And how is that possible? How do they do it? What kind of antenna do they need to grow to make that possible? And not only possible, but in ways that is actually kind of, uh, kind of leads to their thriving as a society. So that's, that's why I think it's worth uh, looking at the Dutch and their mm-hmm. history. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, I mean, you as an Amer- as a born American with, with a Dutch mom, you've lived outside of of the Netherlands for quite some time. Now you've been inside the Netherlands for some time. It's something that I've been outside of the Netherlands now for the last seventeen years. Uh, Belgium, mm-hmm. Paris, at this moment, um, coming back to the Netherlands and being Dutch myself, born in Amsterdam. Um, there, there are two things that always surprise me in terms of antennas or, or how this society works. Mm-hmm. The one thing is, is that if you go to a bar on your own, within minutes, you have a friend on your left and a friend on your right. They're very mm-hmm. approachable. They're very easy to talk to a Dutchman, uh, even in English. They will do their best, even if people think that all Dutch speak English, which is not mm-hmm. totally true. Usually no. it's charcoal English, as I call it. Mm-hmm. So that's a good side. The flip side of the same that same metal is is that they can be so rude. And I mean, so and okay, it's called direct. And and I know I also know as a Dutchman I can understand it. But coming back after 17 years and then watching it from the outside a bit, is that something that you have experienced as well? This 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 for many foreigners, many Dutch non-Dutch, very overly directness. Oh, sure. Oh, I mean, I think that's something I certainly had to get used to uh, that uh, initially, because you think like, uh, are, do you realize what you're doing? I mean, you're pretending like, uh, or they talk to somebody else directly without even as if you're not in the room. And so you can feel completely, you know, sort of cut out of your conversation with your, right. with the first person you're talking with. It can be also that they'll just tell you what, uh, what they think of certain kinds of things. You know, I do think that that is uh, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, unique, well, unique, capacities of the Dutch. I do think it has to do with the fact that there's never been a kind of a court culture here. So, so it's, there's never been in that same sense of a kind of an upper class that you had to sort of be polite for. And so you weren't. So I think, you know, I think Dutch society is not completely equal or egalitarian, but the difference between people are relatively small. And so people can get away with saying whatever it is that they, 
want to say to each other in more or less uh, direct terms. Uh, one of the things I do note that uh, coming to, and I was just talking to some people who've been like, you know, people who do human resources and stuff like that. Um, you know, the Dutch are very open. You can talk to, uh, they can talk to you. Uh, you can talk, they can talk about anything and they can say what they want and what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to like, annual uh, evaluation performances and things like that. That's the one area where the Dutch don't do that. Right. Uh, because, um, because then uh, for, for a boss to say, well, you haven't really performed in these areas or that areas, that just is something that, uh, you know, the egalitarian Dutch don't really like to hear very much. And bosses themselves are really quite reluctant uh, to do. So it's really interesting that in ways that kind of matter, like, well, tell me how I'm doing as, uh, as an employee or tell me how right. I'm doing as an employer. That's something the Dutch aren't very good at uh, or very direct at, strangely enough. Well, it's also because for me, at least, doing doing this intercultural work for some time, the role of a Dutch ma- a Dutch manager, a Dutch boss, is not to be the boss. Certainly not. Who do you think you no, are, no, the boss? No, no, the role right. of a Dutch manager or Dutch boss is to give to create a pleasant working environment, and then this negative feedback that's that's too tough. So you're the boss, and you're fin- you're giving me negative feedback. Who do you think you are? That's exactly right. They will do exactly that, the same thing to the um, to the king uh, as well, or to the prime minister. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, there's an interesting clip. This is a little sidestep, a little sidestep in um, in our conversation. Then I want to get back to the Dutch. There's a little video on YouTube where Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, is among the crowd of people and shaking and talking to people. And there are a couple of youngsters hanging around. And one of those youngsters goes Manu, Manu, as in Emmanuel, Manu, Manu. So he stops and he comes closer to this little boy. And he says, Monsieur le Président. <laughs> oh, and he bounces back this little kid. That's, uh, first of all, a Dutch king or politician would never do anything like that. Nope. Um, and they would play along something like that. Um, and talk about playing along. And I want to go somewhat back in history. I know it's your focus is more on uh, post-war, post-World War II, I presume, history. Um, Jan Steen, John Stone in, in English, painter, famous Dutch painter. Um, right. there, there is a painting out there of him where he paints classroom settings or a classroom setting. And the egalitarian side of the Dutch, for me, comes out in that painting as well. You see a little kid that's holding something in his hand, ready to throw that to the teacher. Is, is that through the years of history, have the Dutch always been that egalitarian? Or do you see any change coming or in, in say, contemporary times? You know, it, things are never exactly the same in history, but, uh, you know, so things change and their cycles and, uh, and the Dutch have had more formal periods and they've had more informal periods. And, and yet you can say this story about, particularly about Dutch uh, young people being rude. Uh, that's something that foreigners have remarked upon for centuries. So that's something that was true. Uh, right. 200 years ago and 400 years ago, uh, so that there is this kind of, you know, uh, they don't seem to be particularly uh, concerned about authority. Uh, and they can uh, they can more or less say what they want and within particular parameters do what they want. Yeah. And that this is, uh, yeah, and it's uh, and that it's somehow also important to, to show that, uh, that you are somebody who uh, is a person, a person who has uh, taken you know, uh, has enough sort of presence to be his or her own person. Yeah. Yeah. That's, is, yeah. Is that something you would agree with? There's a statement here. A Dutch always has an opinion, even if he doesn't have an opinion. 
Um, so there's a there's a there's yeah. a, 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 a journalist uh, interviewing somebody and says, "What do you think about ABCD?" And the Dutchman says, "Well, actually, I I don't really care." But boom, and there comes the whole opinion. Right. Yeah, so there is the Dutch will often have an opinion about all kinds of things. They will uh, they do it, and it's sometimes it can be it's not a particularly interesting opinion. It's not it's not always a particularly sharp uh, opinion, but they will have one. They will uh, they will discourse upon it. That tends to be uh, their idea. So they are not they are not afraid of of sharing their opinion by and large, and they um, so that's that's something they uh, certainly do. One thing I do notice is that. You know, for the Dutch to be uh, uh, for the Dutch to be direct is not always the same thing to say the direct. Uh, the, the Dutch will always tell you exactly what they're thinking. Mm. Uh, those are two different things. Their directness has a purpose. They want to tell you something. You know, I think you should really wash your windows, or I think you should really, you know, um, this or that. I mean, they tell you this. Uh, because they think that that will have some kind of effect, uh, but they're not—they're not fools in the sense that uh, that they will say something that will get them into a lot of hot right. water. Most so, uh, yeah. although again, their their capacity to do that—you know—there's been a study in the last uh, ten years or something like that. The Dutch can really. Uh, because the Dutch think they can say anything to anyone that uh -huh. they've gotten to trouble in other cultures. Uh, so their their capacity to understand when they should hold their tongue and when they can't is not infallible. Yeah, that's true. In my in my spare time, um, I, I it's something I, I something totally different. I do I I give cycle tours to uh, to tourists in Paris, which is something totally different than, than from what I'm doing right here. Right. Um, and then I, I'm a Dutch guy and I do English and I do Dutch. And then I always have to tell the Dutch, listen, don't go through a red light, even if you're Dutch. Don't use your phone while you're cycling, even mm -hmm. if you're Dutch, because the police is different. People have respect for, for the police here in Paris or in France. Mm -hmm. Much, mm -hmm. much different from, from the situation in the Netherlands. If, if you go back to history, then have the Dutch changed in any way? Oh, say say from sixteen hundred, I don't know, or from the year thousand, or have the, has the Dutch culture changed in any way fundamentally? Oh well, I, I think all kinds of ways in which you can sort of say that Dutch culture has uh, changed uh, a, a lot. I mean, I'll just, I mean, one evidence is, is of course, it's a lot less religious culture uh, than it used to be, right? So, I mean that that. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was a country that was precisely because of its uh, the divisions in uh, in religion uh, that it really mattered a lot uh, to people, and it matters to people less. So, I mean, so the whole so the whole attitude toward uh, life, uh, you could say, in in some ways, is different, right? So, right. there's a um, um, but you know, you can also say that more recent times, I, I think that the I, I think sobriety was very important uh, for the Dutch. I mean, that you had a sort of sh a sobriety. I should really use the word, you know, being um, not showing a lot of money. Right? If you, it was okay to have money, it wasn't so good to show it. Calvinistic, at least, uh, at least Calvinistic is often the term that's used to describe yeah. that. So that yes. there's a kind of like it's somehow not, and there is maybe a kind of a almost the religious or. Uh, certainly moral uh, precept behind it, right? That, you know, that showing money is somehow not only bad taste, Dirty. but somehow yeah. immoral, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, and I don't know if the Dutch have that now uh, in the, in the same way. I, I still don't think they like, 
rich people throwing their weight around and, uh, you know, being really, really ostentatious. But I think the Dutch are a lot more comfortable with wealth and showing wealth than they, than they used to be. So I think that's, that's, that's a difference that's maybe taken place in my, uh, lifetime. So those are a couple, once a, a much longer range one and once a sort of a shorter range ways in which I think, uh, the Dutch have, uh, changed, uh, over time. Okay. Also, that that's interesting. There's there's another typical Dutch phenomenon. It's not only Dutch. The Scandinavians suffer, quote unquote, from the same thing, which is this consensus seeking or using a Dutch word, polderen. Um, keep on talking about right. everything or anything. If there's more violence in public transportation in Amsterdam, the solution to that is to talk about it. Um, which for me mm-hmm. is, I mean, having been away 17 years from talking about something is not going to solve it. Doing something will actually solve mm-hmm. something. Is that something that the Dutch have always done? This consensus, consensus, this talking and talking and talking to finding solutions, or is that is that really a reason thing? You know, you understand what I'm this saying, is right? A, uh, this, I certainly do, and yeah. it's one of the questions that historians are really quite divided about. Right? Is is this this? You know, this, this idea of poldering, just that word we use, that's yeah. only from the 1990s. I mean, that hasn't even been around that long as a concept. It's something that Dutch Prime Minister Bim Kok used, uh, you uh-huh. know, in his time. Uh, most, most uh, you know, and that's sort of when it started sticking. Um, but, yeah, I think generally speaking, this is a uh, this is an oligarchic. Uh, culture. I mean, that's to say, uh, in the first place. So there's no one thing you have to know about this country, uh, I think, is one of the continuities is that nobody has ever or almost ever been the boss uh, just by himself. Right. So it's always been it's always been a bunch of people uh, that have ruled at the same time. And the only way that it, uh, a bunch of people could actually rule together uh once they figured out that trying to kill each other or steal each other's property wasn't the way to go. The only other way you could do is by just doing a lot of talking. Mm. And so there is a kind of a long, there is kind of a long talk uh, culture. It's a kind of way of governance uh, that you just have to work things out with people uh, because there's no other way to do it. You can't just make executive decisions uh, by yourself and you can't go over to action unless you've actually, you know, thoroughly chewed the fat ahead of time. So, yeah. I mean, there have been moments, you know, more authoritarian moments in Dutch culture where that's less uh, the case, where talking has mattered, has mattered less. But I think talking has been kind of important in this culture for many centuries. It's not always the best way of dealing with things, as you've already sort of suggested. I mean, it yeah. could be that you know, you've got a kind of a situation where, you know, especially in crisis, you know, spending long times, con- you know, conversing with each other isn't probably the best way to do things. Uh, you need think, to make decisions quickly. Indeed. If your ship is sinking, you cannot hold a meeting about it. No, it's, it's, you should that's right. No, that's right. Do, do that's right. And, and I assume that, right, right. And, and I assume that, you know, there have been lots of Dutch ships sinking in, in Dutch history. And I think there have probably been moments when they say, okay, well, it's talking isn't going to help here. Uh, right. but, uh, but it is a, uh, but it is deeply baked into it. And there is this, you know, just, uh, I think that even in these, the Dutch are more polarized now than they were, you know, 10 or 20 years sure. ago, but, you know, but still, but still, you know, the, the Dutch impulse is to, you know, just sort of seek consensus where you can. Right. Uh, and see if you can't get through that way. Yeah, I noticed that in all kinds of ways. It still strikes me as an American. Uh, it still, it still hurts, or you're still confused by it. 
Well, you know, although, well, I, I was initially confused by it, but then again, this is sort of says maybe something that just makes it a, a little different. So one of the things I, when I came to this country, uh, and then I was asked to be chair of particular kinds of uh, uh-huh. meetings, and I did that in the American ways, and when you're a chair in America, then actually, you know, you're kind of a procedural chair person, right? So you just make right. sure that everybody gets, you know, gets a say, and then you know, then sort of the egalitarian side of American culture, you know, kicks in and something like that. So Americans can be very hierarchical or they can be very flat, right? So, yeah. and, and, the, and the technical chair is kind of egalitarian, but they didn't work in the Netherlands. What was expected of me was, is that, yes, I had to listen to what people had to say at the meeting. I had also make a judgment of whose remarks counted for most. Yeah. And then on the basis of her hearing what I had heard, it was expected for me to make a decision about how to move forward. And so that I had to uh, cut the Gordian knot and say, okay, we're go- having heard all of this. I, I'm going to, we're going to do it uh, this way. And so, uh, so it was expected uh, that, you know, that the chair uh, would need the authority to actually make the final uh, decision. So that's, a, for me, it was key under, uh, understanding or insight into how the Dutch are not a completely, you know, everybody gets a say at the table. No, some right. people get more of a say at the table than others, yeah. and the chair gets the most at all, of all. That's a, that's a good one. It's interesting. There's a, it's another, I'm, I'm, I'm touching on these typical Dutch things, at least for me, that I know that that um, non-Dutch find interesting to some extent, uh, and and putting that from in in a historical context, um, tolerance. The Dutch are pretty well known for their tolerance. The French are known for if if for Americans, if you put it made in France, then they will pay double. If you put in the mm-hmm. rest of the world, if you put made in Germany, then you don't even doubt whether it's good or bad. It's always good. Right. And the Dutch are then known, they've marketed the word their tolerance really well in terms of tolerance towards mm-hmm. um, prostitution, if you want, tolerance towards drugs, etc. Um, so it, I've, I've heard many, many times from, from, from non-Dutch and me asking the question, they asking me the question, do you smoke? Um, no. And they're implying, do you smoke marijuana? No, I don't. Right. I don't smoke at all. Um, is this tolerance, is it, are the Dutch really tolerant or are they indifferent? In other words, they don't really care what you do as long as you leave me alone. And has that been the, the case all over, over time? I think that there is a, um, <laughs> I think there, I, I think there are three levels of, of tolerance. That sounds really kind of pedantic to talk about three, but one of them is, of course, indifference. I mean, that this is a, uh, this is a commercial culture, uh, where everybody kind of does their own, uh, thing. Uh, it's a diverse culture. And the best way to sort of deal with that is just by having a kind of a, almost disciplined indifference to what other people are doing. Uh-huh. Uh, one American said that, uh, one American said to me that the only, see, he, he got one of those little garden plots in Amsterdam and right. he got like these tons of manuals about how he had to do all kinds of things. And he said, I, I learned that actually there are only two rules. One is, you know, I mean, it just basically was you can do whatever you want uh, as long as uh, nobody else is bothered by it. Right. So those are the two, uh-huh. uh, you know, the two things you just had to keep in mind. So, uh, so yeah, so the Dutch have this kind of thing of, you know, there's no other way to make a culture that's so diverse and, you know, with people coming from all over the world to work other than to have a kind of a almost disciplined, as I said, uh, indifference to what other people are doing. 
Um, I do think, on the other hand, you know, this is a history. This this is also a country where lots of people thought conflicting things at the same time, and so right. uh, tolerance also is just meaning that sometimes when you are like, you know, you really don't agree with somebody else. You just have to learn how to kind of hold your tongue. That's what I also said before. I mean, yeah. you can be direct, but you don't say everything you think. And so sometimes tolerance is also just like, you know, um, in order to keep the peace, I just need to, I need to just keep my mouth or I need to, uh, I need to, I need to think about this in a different way than, uh, you know, using my club or my sword or my mouth against people who think the right. wrong ways. So I think part of it is it's just a kind of a conflict avoidance strategy. Uh, right. Yes. It's a deeply held principles. Right. It's not that they're indifferent, but they, you know, they can't let themselves go. And I think there's another one. And th- that's also here in this country is, is that, you know, people really there is a there is a side of genuine tolerance that people really like the fact that there are people living next to each other and that they actually kind of uh, think it's cool uh, that people have different kinds of, uh, of world uh, worldviews, and they generally respect that and think that's really good. So I don't know if that's the I don't know if that's the most important motive in Dutch tolerance, but it's there too. Yeah, yeah, and and then I mean I'm looking at the recording time as well, and and um, uh, looking at your time. Um, is it is it really is it difficult for for Say in this, in your case, an American, or for a, for a non-Dutch to live in the Netherlands, it is. Um, well, the answer in general, no, it's easy uh, in the sense that I mean, it's it's you know, it's an urbane country where all kinds of things are possible uh, uh, to live. You know, you you the quality of life is is great, and those are just things you get by living here. At least most people get by right. living here under most circumstances. Um, but it, I do think it's hard in ways that people then anticipate. All kinds of uh, people talk to me about the first year of the Netherlands. They thought this was like a kind of a Valhalla of you get to do anything you want to do, right? So this is a place where there are no rules. No boundaries. Uh-huh. No boundaries, right? So because people wouldn't tell you exactly what uh, to do. You know, the you know the most common piece of advice I, uh, I've always gotten in the Netherlands, well, that you need to, you need to figure that out for yourself. Yeah, uh, which is self-vaten. But, you know, there's the uh, um, but there is this other, you know, but then in year two, when people get here, then they see all these kinds of hidden rules that there are. I mean, that, you know, um, it, that it's really, you know, there are particular kinds of expectations about uh, behavior. Uh, there are particular kinds of expectations about uh, maybe uh, learning the language or showing particular kinds of mores. Um, right. So that's and you can also see sometimes already in the first year, right? That it's it's a very regulated country. This is a very ordered country. Uh, the Dutch do not the Dutch don't actually like chaos uh, much at yeah. all. And so so this is really so one of the things that I think is uh, a kind of a realization for for living in this country is, is yeah you you know you have to really live in a in an ordered uh, society where uh, where there are actual often under articulate expectations and precisely because the Dutch are so like seeing themselves as being free and informal in many ways they are, Mm -hmm. they never bother really explaining what the actual rules are to other people. And that makes it extra hard because nobody actually tells you what it is that you're actually supposed to do, even though you are actually supposed to do it. Makes sense. And there's a nice Dutch word for, for this. It's an aangeharkt country. It is a well-brushed country in a way. It's a um, well-brushed country. Yes, yeah. it is. 
I'm drifting towards the, um, my last two questions. And one of them is, can you give us three tips to become more, well, either uh, Dutchify or culturally competent, uh, maybe specifically for the Dutch or towards the Dutch? Okay. Well, so um, so maybe the first one, of course, is is that uh, don't think you can do everything because you can't. I mean, so that's, that's one kind of, uh, for a newcomer, that's uh, very uh, important. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing is, is that uh, you can say is that uh, I think that um, the Dutch are good friends for life, right? So that uh, especially once uh, you get to know them, then uh, over a long period of time, they can be very loyal and very good. So, but sometimes the Dutch, because of their agendas, uh-huh. uh, are hard to make appointments with. It t- sometimes takes you four to six weeks to get an appointment with them. But over time, <laughs> uh, you know, these these can be uh, these can be uh, uh, good friends. Uh, right. And maybe uh, tied to uh, the other thing is is that this is a. Um, you know, um, the Dutch look uh, very uh, happy and individualistic, but they're actually quite, uh, they're really quite family people. So uh, pay attention to their, you know, to pay attention to their wider social networks, to their uh, family life, if you want to understand who they are, because that actually matters to the Dutch more than they would admit. That's interesting. That's that's something that I I, I think I, I do implicitly, because I have, I have three kids and my mom is still alive and I am still in touch well with, with all of them. And actually quite frequently, uh, even though I do think indeed that the Dutch are quite individualistic. Anyway, so that's, yeah, a, that's, a, that's a good food for thought. If people, James, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? So I'm, I'm at the University of Utrecht, so they can just reach me at my email address, uh, j.c.kennedy at uu.nl. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes um, and um, and potentially a LinkedIn um, uh, link as well to your LinkedIn profile because I know the, I know I found you there as well. Yeah. I'm All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, for this conversation, and um, I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. I would like that. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, you can do so in iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher and all other good places where you can find your podcast. If you are in iTunes, why don't you leave us a five-star review because that will help the visibility of this podcast. Right, the music you hear in the background is from Ben Sound. Check them out at bensound.com. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters Podcast, and I'll be back in two weeks' time. See you then. Bye. Overlooking cultural differences when you're developing your business internationally can be the biggest mistake you can make. Let Chris and Peter help you avoid those mistakes. Get in touch now. Go to culturematters.com.